You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to the room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 323, we're discussing the She-Hulk trailer, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and how the Star Wars will be televised. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. And I'm Carlos. Carlos, my man, how are you doing today? It is it is a wonderful, new, bright, shiny week of nerd. But how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little I'm a little sleepy, but uh, it's too late to have any coffee. So, uh, listeners, bear with me. Hope I bring the goods uh, through this uh, podcast and my notes carry us through. I do not doubt that you will deliver a wonderful goddamn Batman performance because we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about this week, including a brand new... She-Hulk trailer that was dropped on us just about two hours ago. So we're going to run through whatever that was a little later on in the episode. And we're also going to talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I don't know what we're going to talk about there, but Carlos is surely going to bring this one to the table. We're also going to talk about this wonderful Vanity Fair Star Wars article that chronicles how the Rebellion will be televised. Now, Carlos, I'm going to bring a few things to the table for you to ponder on in the Star Wars universe directly from this Vanity Fair Star Wars article. And of course, we're going to slide in a whole bunch of other pop culture news stories as we walk through another wonderful week in Nerds. So Carlos, let's get over to that right now. Let's just dive straight into it with This Week in Nerd. Welcome, everyone, to This Week in Nerd, where we discuss the latest and the greatest from the world of nerd. And Carlos, I think this week, because we're not leading the podcast off on a slightly down note, I'm going to pass it to you to bring a little uplift here, bring a little positivity to the front end of this podcast. So I'm going to throw it over to you first. Why don't you bring us our first nerd news article of this week to the table? Ah, you know what? Because uh, you highlighted the positivity, I'm actually going to start with what was my absolute favorite little bit of news that came to me via the Grapeline and our boy Nico Crusoe from the Vigilante 1939 podcast. But he dropped me a DM and he wanted to make sure that I was aware that they were developing a Michael Jackson biopic. I guess we've talked about the Elvis one a couple times and being an MJ superfan. Our boy wanted to make sure that I was aware. So, um, yeah, I was aware of it. But he had some casting, like a, a bit of casting news as far as, like, who who they were looking for. Like, that they were looking for somebody who kind of had that Michael Jackson off-the-wall thriller era type look. That they needed somebody who could dance. But also, the thing that got me really excited and, like, it, it honestly, like, got me a almost like emotional type of thing was just the approach that they're taking with this thing. And like with MJ and projects surrounding him, you never know exactly what you're going to get. But um, with this, uh, Nico sent me this bit of cast and stuff and it very much uh, made it sound like they're, taking an approach of celebrating his art and a lot of care and attention and really highlighting the fact that he was a 
very complex guy and that might be why there's so many misunderstandings as to what he was all about and what his message was and um, what he brought to the world. And so that made me all kinds of happy. Like from the notes that he shared, I kind of got the sense that it might be akin to the Elton John one that we had a Mm -hmm. few years ago with uh, Taron Egerton, but um, or Egerton, but I'm super excited about this project now. I was always curious when I knew that it was in, in the making, but now that Nico kind of shared to me what the heart and the intent is going to be with this thing, all for it. Oh man, I'm really glad to hear that. I know he is your absolute favorite and it's going to be a real feat to strike the right tone, like you said, send the right message. And there's a real importance around this about getting that right. You don't want this to skew one way or another. You want this to be done the justice that that man deserves. And so we've got this Elvis biopic coming up. We've had the Elton John one done in the past. The Queen one that was done was really good. I really enjoyed that. And so they they are riding a successful train here. And this seems to be probably the most challenging task I think to, to put this to screen in the right. And I love that era that you highlighted that they're going to be doing with, with Michael Jackson there. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. And probably the thing that I'm looking forward to the most is just how this opens up doors to new fans. Like my oldest went from having no idea who queen was to being an absolute queen super Mm -hmm. fan uh, after seeing that movie. So yeah, these movies are important and I'm just glad to hear that this one's coming to us from the right place. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely love that, man. Now, we're going to go from one of your favorite things to one of my favorite things. And the thing I've probably been most excited to talk about since it actually dropped, I don't know, just today or yesterday. And it's this wonderful Vanity Fair article that is titled, The Rebellion Will Be Televised. Now, it is bringing together a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions, and a lot of interviews from some of the creative forces backing Lucasfilm, including Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Deborah Chow, everyone that is contributing to this ever-growing universe on Disney+. Plus. Now, inside of this article does detail a lot of the nuances of the actors coming back to roles like Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor, Rosario Dawson coming back in a big capacity to fill those Ahsoka Tana shoes, and some of the process that guys like Filoni and Favreau and even Kennedy have gone through to develop things like The Mandalorian. But instead of going through the whole article, I just want to pull out a few key pieces from it that were quite revealing and questions that have been floating around the internet probably for the last two years have been answered inside of this. And one of them being the pace of the filmmaking from Lucasfilm. Now, Kathleen Kennedy, she was a big proponent of this interview and really throwing out the gauntlet when it comes to setting the record straight on a lot of this stuff. And one of the things she said about the pace of filmmaking was dispensing with the idea of Star Wars coming out on the big screen in an annual capacity. They're looking to pull this back to the Lucas era of filmmaking where it is every three, four, five years that you see a big screen adaptation of a Star Wars story in some capacity. And the real switch here is to and building out on Disney+. Plus. So they've taken a somewhat of a pause up on the big screen and really want to kind of nurture that experience and have shifted a lot of the focus for the foreseeable future into Disney plus. And so what this article really lays the foundation for is that, and like we've been talking quite a bit about is that their grand plan is focusing on the streaming service, on the episodic sort of television, going back to the roots of George Lucas, where he took inspiration from these episodic 
TV shows and really using that as the platform to tell Star Wars stories. Boba Fett and Kenobi were both, and mentioned in this article, were both meant to be big screen, and they pulled them down to Disney+. And so with that roadmap and with the big screen somewhat on hold here, she did point to things like Taika Waititi's film, Star Wars film is likely to be the first one to arrive on the big screen. Wonder Woman, Patty Jenkins, her Rogue Squadron is quite a ways out. Kevin Feige is doing something in Star Wars, but again, quite a ways out. And the Ryan Johnson trilogy that was announced about five years ago, again, is quite a ways out as he finishes out the Knives Out trilogy over on Netflix. So the big screen, big pause. What are your thoughts on some of this, Carlos? You're hearing that Disney Plus is the platform for storytelling from the mouth of Kathleen Kennedy. You know what? Um, I think it's actually a good thing uh, based on what kind of what we're seeing happening in the Marvel side of the Disney house where maybe there's too many things and everything becomes less special. Uh, I like that we're going to go back to an era where the Star Wars movies are big, huge events and something that people get hyped for and mm -hmm. excited for and don't take them for granted. And it's not going to be because we're starving for Star Wars content in the meantime. We'll be getting a steady diet of it with stories that need to be told, but maybe not in that single movie type um, reality and that we have our streaming shows on Disney Plus and you know, they've, they've all been very enjoyable thus far. So I, I think it's a win-win type of thing. I, I'd be shocked mm -hmm. if some of those projects you mentioned actually see the light of day. Agreed. Based Agreed. on how long they've been gestating. And now you're saying that they're going to be pushed even further out. So with her three to five year windows, if Taika's movie is the next one out, you're looking at another three years for some of these long delayed mm -hmm. projects before they hit. So. Yeah. Uh, on the whole, I think it's a great idea, and I think it'll be uh, beneficial to the long-term health of Star Wars. Yeah, completely agree there. And one of the more interesting things that Kathleen Kennedy tossed out, a, tossed out there in relation to what you were saying is that when it comes to the creative coming into the director's seat, they want anyone that's coming into this universe to be committed for three to five years. They don't want this to be a one and done. She says specifically in here, she can't have someone stepping in for a year to shoot something and then walk away. She wants a, a commitment to nurturing this whole universe. And so when you look at people like specifically Patty Jenkins, that's probably why Rose Squadron has been pushed out is this new philosophy on the commitment level and why guys like John Favreau and Dave Filoni have been basically put in the captain's chair to drive this universe because of the level of commitment to the shows. They're attached to almost everything that's coming out right now on Disney+, Plus, both mm -hmm. in a producer's and sometimes in a direct story writing and directing capacity too. And so there is a, a change there, and there does seem to be a star's roadmap, which is, which is really great to hear. And I like that they're focusing on this Disney+. Plus. I think this is an appropriate place for them to tell stories because they do have the technology now. So another piece that was in this article was how the volume has changed absolutely everything. They spoke to the idea and concept that they're under a lot of pressure to deliver Disney Plus shows for the launch of the platform to maintain it, to get that sub base up. And they're being asked to deliver film quality shows that can stand shoulder to shoulder with those big screen adaptations with 
a third of the budget and half of the time. And it's really the volume that has allowed this to happen and this technology that's been pushed on. And when Favreau was asked about their ability to construct and shoot and pull together a season of a show, he was asked specifically if that allows him to make a full season in the same amount of time as it does to make a Star Wars or Marvel movie. And he said, nope, half the time to do it because of the volume. Pretty wild stuff. Yeah, that's cool. I, I think the approach to TV is vastly different than how you construct a movie. Mm. So, But as far as reducing the time on the technical side of things, that's cool. And then, um, I don't know, just just the way you approach a story over the course of a TV season, it's going to be a little different than when you're making a big movie type of thing. So, yeah, that's awesome that they can put out high-quality content for star wars on the tv kind of yeah maybe it's something that marvel should invest in if we're going to talk about this trailer a little <laughs> later on in here but one one last one last thing to touch on is they did make a commitment inside of this article to to point in a different direction we see a lot of familiarity coming out here on disney plus we've got things like the rogue one i guess prequel in andor we've got obi-wan they're looking towards the future new shows and the accolades was one that was put up on a pedestal in this article as being the next big Disney plus show. They're looking at shooting this in the not too distant future. And they did frame out what it was going to be taking place about a hundred years before the Phantom Menace. Not going to see many characters we're super familiar with maybe a Yoda appearance, but the creative in and behind it asked the question, how did Star Wars get to the point as where it was in the Phantom Menace and how did they get to the point where there's a Sith Lord that could infiltrate the Senate with no Jedi picking up on it. And she's exploring what went wrong in that hundred year period with the Jedi, it seems in this kind of high Republic era. And that's the story they're likely to tell inside of Acolytes, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that is neat. And it's, uh, I appreciate that we're getting something totally different and something, uh, you know, a story that nobody, I haven't heard anybody say that they were looking for, but now that she's brought this to the table, it's like, yeah, that sounds very interesting and something that uh, I'd love to see explored. And then there's also that John Watts movie, right? That they said that he was going to come in and work on. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what he, he can do. Has, yeah. <laughs> yeah. His kind of post return of the Jedi coming of age story. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So Star Wars is firing on all cylinders. This article itself i would encourage anyone to go out and read it it's a new variety article it gave me warm and fuzzy feelings all about Star Wars again I, I love the way it was constructed and how they brought so many different perspectives and how they just kind of laid out what they want to do and how they want to do it in the future so they looked back and then looked forward and it was it's a really great retrospective and forward look on the whole Star Wars universe which is about to pop off your celebration in obi-wan kenobi in just a couple of weeks yeah no looking forward to that and speaking of great star tv this is a perfect time to talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Man, I could have probably saved this for our weekend nerd, but uh, it's just too darn good to wait for the back half of the show. Like, this thing is phenomenal. Like, all due credit to Disney and the volume, but I'm very impressed with what Paramount has pulled off with um, what they've brought to the screen here. It basically uh, follows the adventures of Captain Christopher Pike, who's Kirk's predecessor as the captain of the Enterprise. And um, it builds on some of the things that they had in the original series. So we do meet 
Captain Pike in that show. I get he was the captain and the pilot, and then uh, we meet him again, and he's been maimed and disfigured, and he's in this kind of iron lung type of thing. So the show is set on the premise that he actually knows that. Um, in a season of Star Trek Discovery, he got a glimpse of his future and saw himself uh, suffer this horrific fate. But uh, Anson Mount, Black Bolt himself, yes. probably a better example of his talents would be from Hell on Wheels. But <laughs> he is an absolute force as the captain of the Enterprise. And um, it features a Spock. And the, most of the rest of the crew is new, save Uhura, who's uh, a rookie in this uh, show. But, man, it's just it's so well done. It looks so darn good. And the stories are interesting. The characters are compelling. They, they do some interesting stuff with um, him having a bit more of a grassroots, very uh, sincere approach to dealing with the interaction. So not as cold and analytical as Star Trek can sometimes be. This one's very accessible. There's honestly no barrier for entry. You can just watch the first episode. They explain exactly where it's coming from. And uh, I'd probably say the vast majority of the players are people that you're meeting for the very first time. And the show looks great. Like the awesome. the special effects, the attention to detail is wonderful. And it's like the first couple episodes were very different from each other. And I guess it's going to be very episodic, kind of like old Star Trek where you can watch them in a vacuum and each one stands on its own. And by the time this episode hits, episode three will be out. So anybody who wants to catch up is not going to be very far behind. But yeah, I can't recommend it enough. And I'm not like, huge star trek guy but i love it like i saw the first one and i couldn't wait to watch the hmm. second one fast enough like i i do like star trek and have followed discovery and all the other new shows but um it, it it's not something i'd buy a action figure from kind of thing i guess that's the test on this show and uh, <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't be buying a, a an action figure from uh any of those other shows but uh i might have been poking around for a model kit of the 1701 Enterprise from this show. Ah, ah. Well, color me intrigued, man. I, uh, is there any sort of, I know he says low barrier for entry. Is there any canonical ties? Is this, is Star Trek, the stories they're telling right now, are they in some sort of connected universe or is it just isolated stories? Uh, yeah, they are, they are connected, but they've kind of structured the show so that you can watch them independent of each other um so like this crew in this enterprise definitely had uh, a lead role in one of the seasons of discovery but if you okay. didn't want to watch a full season of discovery you just kind of jump in with the new show and there's a pile of new characters uhura being kind of one of the key ones that leads you into being able to just watch the show having never seen anything before and even like there's a lot of deep cuts that a lot of the friends of the show have been celebrating with uh, the things that they've done that tie it to the canon from the original trilogy or not original trilogy, the original series and whatnot, but it doesn't bog it down, mm -hmm. so to speak. So it's almost like when you buy a DC Black Label book where it's like, yeah, I get it. There's all this other stuff that kind of informs the story that you're reading, but you don't need to have an intimate knowledge about it to understand it and digest it and read it. So um, it, it's kind of like that where they give you everything you need and it's 
like it's one of those where I would never tell my parents to watch Discovery because I think it would be way over their heads. But I'd be like, yeah, watch Strange New Worlds. It's really easy to get into and anybody could watch it. So, yeah, it's on Crave here in Canada and Paramount Plus everywhere else. And, yeah, I was impressed. Interesting. I might have to jump into that even maybe this evening. As I've never been a, a Star Trek guy, I don't know why. It seems like something that would be directly up my alley. Like, I, I remember back in the days of Next Generation, all that. It was never something I could fully get into. But mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do something ever since I saw a bit of that Picard and Discovery. And there's there's a lot of Trek out there right now. And so I hope you had something I have to tune into. Yeah, I'd recommend it. Like, if anybody wants to try any one of the new shows, this is the one I'd point them to. Like, I, I really like Discovery. But it's very high concept a lot of the time, mm. and the the stories are entire seasons long, oh, so okay. <laughs> it, it, it's a bit to to jump into and immerse yourself in, and um, y- your mileage can vary season to season type of thing. But yeah, I'm up to date on it, and I I quite like it. But I know um, it can be a bit inaccessible at times. Picard is cool, but it. I personally feel that you'd need to know a lot of next gen stuff to, mm-hmm. especially with the current season to, to really get the story that they're telling. But with this one, it, it's definitely meant as a entry point for new viewers. And technically it, it's a prequel to everything that you've seen. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. Well, the streaming service concept has really grown over the last couple of years and It's afforded all of us the ability to really consume in a different way, but also a lot more stories. We've got things like we just talked about in Star Wars, in Star Trek, over on Crave and all that. And it's also something that kind of dominated the conversation throughout the pandemic. And now we're going to get to the business side of nerd a little bit here with this topic. And that's the concept and idea of what's going on with Netflix. So Netflix has been the most dominant streaming service for the past decade or so. It has well over 220 million subscribers globally. But this past week, they announced that they had their first reported loss of subscribers to their base in over a decade with about 200,000 people leaving the service. And so this really caused their stock to tumble about 35% in a single day. You know, this time last year, roughly, it was close to $700 per unit of stock. And now today, it sits at less than $200, around $190. So quite a huge drop. They were shoulder to shoulder at one point during kind of the mid-pandemic time as the biggest entertainment company on the planet with Disney. And now Disney has everything from the streaming to the parks to the films, production. Like, they're a humongous company. And for Netflix, a, you know really a just a production house sitting shoulder to shoulder with disney is an incredible feat but this decline in their subscription service while other places like disney plus and crave and hbo max are all seeing an increase is this the first sign of of netflix weakening a little bit or is this just a post pandemic or whatever you want to call it transition period where people are starting to push off some of this because of the amount of content they're not spending as much time in the house anymore or is this a message to netflix that their product has slipped a little bit relative to the competition of things like hbo max and disney plus who are putting out some pretty stellar things lately 
Yeah, I know for myself, Netflix used to be my go-to. I, I like a diversity in content and just, mm-hmm. you know, being able to watch lots of different things from different angles. But they've kind of fallen right next to Amazon Prime, my free shipping service um, <laughs> edition, uh, as things that I never go to because it, they just haven't had anything overly compelling show up on there so yeah like i i've kind of trotted it out there in front of the family a couple times like should we cancel netflix and um there's always been one or two hands saying like i'm watching this or i'm watching that but maybe in a bit so we're certainly there i i think yeah you kind of hit the nail on the head is that there's all these other subscription services that have offered a similar service, but maybe with better quality programming or with something that's more tailor-made to people's tastes, right? Like right now between Disney Plus and HBO Max or Crave up here in Canada, like I don't really watch anything else. And in fact, even with Disney Plus, I almost exclusively just watch the Hulu content that we get Mm -hmm. on the Star tab. So, um yeah, for me, I'd be happy with those. And, you know, the world's getting more expensive and people are looking to cut costs. And Netflix had a pile of price increases yeah. before people stood and took stock. And you know what? If the quality of the programming doesn't justify what you're being asked to shell out for, then why would you pay, right? It's the exact, it, they are literally in the exact same spot as to why people wanted to cut cable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm not getting value for my dollar. Well, that's exactly it. You know, they were the first, they are the biggest, but does not necessarily mean they're the best. What I see here with Netflix is somewhat of a failure to evolve with the times, with the competition really increasing. And this is something that the executive said that is dinging their their subscription totals. The rampant password sharing, they say, is a big problem. And then also exiting Russia. Is something else that they chalked up here. But I think I think there's more to read into this. And it'll be interesting to see if there's a consistent drop because in that time, yes, it's only 200,000 subscribers. So it's not a ton given the overall base of 220 million. But in that same time frame, Disney Plus gained 8 million subscribers. Mm-hmm. And so even if it's not a loss, it's just a plateau, right? Are you reaching the finite level that 200, 220 million people is all you're ever going to get? It'll be interesting. Disney has reached 138 million subscribers, you know, in the future as they plan, as they continue to grow. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to eventually eclipse Netflix in this space. And the same with HBO Max, if they're able to get to a point or is there a limit? Is there a plateau in all of this? And we're, you're right to put the cable analogy on the table because that's essentially what we've gotten back to. It's a conversation at work the other day. When everyone's like, oh, yeah, we all cancel cable. I said, but we all have six or seven subscription services, which is you amalgamate that together and it's cable again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, I think the big benefit of the way it is now, at least for me as a consumer, is Disney Plus notwithstanding, you can kind of cancel any of them Yeah, if you're not using them, right? So I try and be cognizant of what I'm using and what I'm not using. So like right now I don't have Apple TV plus and that's the cheapest one and it's, it's a good quality one, but we just hadn't watched it for a few months and I was like, you know what? I'll just park it. We can get a bit of a backlog and then we'll reactivate it, watch stuff on there and maybe, and I'll probably park Netflix to be honest with you. And, um, 
Let's see if we end up going back there, or maybe it'll be parked until the next Witcher series comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, next but, next winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, we'll see. We'll see. I don't hate on Netflix by any stretch of the imagination, but man, they have uh, wasted a lot of time for me with some subpar offerings. Yeah, they've done a lot of good stuff, but uh, I want I want this team to progress and evolve like some of these other services have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so speaking of progressing and evolving and services that are putting out some great stuff, uh, HBO Max has announced that from their director and showrunner of Chernobyl, Johan Rennick, uh, so if anybody has seen Chernobyl, they know that it is one of the finest pieces of programming out there and one of the most horrifying things you will ever see, mostly because it's true. And uh, it's probably even scarier now mm-hmm. through the lens of knowing what's going on in uh, Russia and the Ukraine. But uh, that show was unbelievably good. And that gentleman is actually doing a Dune series called Dune the Sisterhood. And it's going to follow the Bene Gesserit. So if you've seen the movie or read the book, you know that the Bene Gesserit have a pretty significant role to play. But it's not something that you could ever really illustrate in a big screen type of space but uh, now they're putting a show to it which is cool and it kind of fits in that same mindset that they have with um, things like the Batman where it's like you know what we got something really special here how do we grow some collateral pieces to it to make this something that's going to be evergreen and forever loved type of thing so yeah I'm super excited for that like based on the talent that's associated with it. So, and it's a, it's a very interesting pick for a showrunner. So um, he's put out some quality programming in the past and he's, he's a guy that definitely understands character first. If you watched uh, Chernobyl. So uh, I think he'll be able to drive a pretty cool narrative with uh, the sisterhood. Well, again, another thing that's got me quite intrigued because as soon as you say Chernobyl, and the creative force that was behind that is taking on something like Dune. Come on. Like that series, that was what got me to purchase Crave in the first place. Like this is pre a lot of the HBO Max stuff coming on and like Peacemaker and Zack Snyder's Justice League and these things that are really driving at least my where I sit as far as like the superhero world on HBO Max. It was Chernobyl. And I watched that by myself at night I can't even remember when I did it, but it was terrifying. Absolutely mm-hmm. terrifying. That experience, it felt so visceral, so real, and everything that they put to screen was just unbelievable there. So, yeah, that's got me super excited to see what he can do inside of what is a more of a fantasy world too, right? And so, you know, he's worked pretty well inside the confines of of the realism of something like Chernobyl and It'll be interesting to see where he can take this creatively outside of that, outside of the confines of, of remaining grounded in an absolute real and telling what is meant to be a true story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm pretty excited for that one. So that was uh, that was cool to hear that there's building out that Dune world a little bit more because you can't get Chalamet for everything. So no. <laughs> let's, let's build where we can. Speaking about building where you can, Let's talk about the box office and how the MCU continues to build out and support what is all of Hollywood with 
Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And before we actually get into this, I'm going to give a little plug. Go check out our second episode we dropped last week, our Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness review. It's an hour long, nice, short, crisp review on that film where we both gave it a, a kind of a B, just to give a little spoiler on that one. But this really folds well into some of that discussion because we talked about, or you actually chronicled, us through the cinema scores and what that B plus rating it did get could potentially mean and something that we questioned inside of the review about what does the second week box office look like on something that might not have the same sort of volume of word of mouth as pushing people into the theater or your repeat viewers. We had a $187 million opening weekend last weekend, which is like the 11th highest of all time. So an unbelievable opening weekend. But this weekend it saw one of the largest and steepest drop-offs in the MCU history and probably in comic book movie history, dropping almost 70%. Now it's still pulled in a reasonable weekend with $61 million, but it's a far cry from that $185 million that it did pull in its full first weekend. Now, most of these films are very front loaded in this, but you do see some in these bigger spaces, you do see them only dropping off 50%. 55% is kind of a, a, a good, marker to look at but this dropping off almost 70 starts to tell a little bit of a story that builds on what you talked about last week now it has passed 300 million dollars domestically and 700 million dollars globally so it is still doing very well this isn't a tale about it flopping or failing or anything close to that but it is a bit intriguing given some of the discussion we had last week with regards to that cinema score yeah no i I got to actually witness a bit of this firsthand because I went to go see the Northman on uh, Sunday. And granted, there was a big hockey game uh, in our city and whatnot. But just as I was buying the tickets or whatever, out of curiosity, because I was a bit frustrated at the lack of showtimes for any other movie outside of Doctor Strange. And so went to the biggest theater in our city, certainly the busiest, and I pulled up the IMAX or the AVX or Doctor Strange, and there was literally one seat no. sold. No. One person was going to see it on a premium screen kind of thing. So, and, you know, when we rolled up, we had to walk to the end of the corridor, and every single theater was showing Doctor Strange, but nobody was in those theaters. And so it kind of broke my heart a little bit. It made me a bit angry because I had to stay up way later than I typically do now to be able to see the Northman. <laughs> but well worth the trip to the theater to see it on the big screen. But it kind of shows that, you know, maybe they overestimated the appeal of this one. And I know that there's a bit of strong arm in with Disney with what exhibitors, uh, the amount of screens that they have to show their movies on. But um, yeah, like if, if the movie was all the wonderful things that uh, people said it was, then folks would have gone a second time, right? Like, I know Spider-Man No Way Home had a big drop-off for the second weekend, but that movie's second weekend was literally Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So you can account for why the Friday-Saturday was lower, and it performed far better during the course of the week and after that, too. So, yeah, um, ended up playing out with that cinema score, and, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's interesting to see. Like, it think it's a bit of a record right for a comic book movie the drop yeah it's very close to if not the it's maybe second third biggest drop off ever and yeah it is a bit of a measuring stick for for like you said the word of mouth repeat viewing and like i said in our review i'm not a repeat viewing kind of guy in any film i didn't see no way home twice didn't see the batman twice 
just not for me. But when you step back and look at, you know, our friends over at Vigilante that saw No Way Home 10 times, you saw Batman seven times. And yes, these are your wheelhouse. These are your films. But with Doctor Strange, uh, this is where it's interesting for me is because as when we went, walked through the room, I guess I can see the holes and all that. But for me, I'm, I, my experience wasn't, it was, but it wasn't all too dissimilar from No Way Home. And so the the drop off, like my mentality isn't there about, I was never considering going back and seeing this a second time and nor did I ever consider going back and seeing No Way Home a second time. Um, and so that concept is a bit foreign to me about, like I would never, like I would never go see a movie seven times or six times in the theater. Yeah. Well, like the MCU ones, like I do, like I know when they resonate with me because I'm always back there within a week. Okay. Like always. So like even even No Way Home, I ended up there. Like we saw it on the Friday and I was back there like the Sunday or the Monday and and a bit after that. And then like, yeah, like Infinity War was another one. Black Panther a bunch of times. Like if I'm either back there um, to sneak in another viewing with one of the kids or if I'm dragging my mom. And so that's how that's how I know that one of them resonated with me, kind of thing. And that's cool. yeah, there hasn't it hasn't been one for a bit, like Spider Man notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. I I think for me, Jurassic World, if it's really good, if it's what I think it's going to be, will probably be my first one of this year that I'll I'll repeat view. But mm-hmm. I think the last one I repeat saw might have been Infinity War, and I saw the Last Jedi twice. Because I had to go back to see if I liked it or not. Like I couldn't. <laughs> I walked out. I was like, I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> I had to go see this. I need again. to reconcile this. <laughs> so very interesting. Something to keep an eye on. But again, it is a it'll runaway success. It'll likely get pretty close to that billion dollar mark by the time we see it and its theatrical run. And it'll be on Disney Plus. I don't know if these are the forty five day windows, but it's not too far out. We're likely to see the multiverse of madness on Disney Plus. You know, probably before the true summer time, we will see this there. Yeah, I think they just kind of make the. I think it's a minimum forty five days mm-hmm. that'll be in theaters. But yeah, after that, it it's up to the studio as to what they want to do. If like I think with the case of the Batman, they just wanted something high profile um, to go on HBO Max, so that's why that ended up yeah. where it was. But you know, if they have other big glitzy things to put on Disney Plus, then they don't need Doctor Strange. They won't put it on there. But you know, if they they do need something to kind of goose it, then I'm sure they'll put it in there after 45 days and yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens. So for me, I actually had some pretty exciting news in the comic book world. Uh, DC today announced just on the official Batman account, it, there was just hashtag Batman one bad day. And they used that to announce a series of, one shots that are coming out just over the course of a couple months during the fall and the winter, but with all-star creative teams and they're just single issue 64 page reads, but with like all-star teams on them. And so um, to give you an example, they're doing a one bad day penguin, which John Ridley and uh, Giuseppe Gamacoli is writing a Mr. Freeze one with Jerry Duggan and Scalero Mateo. And then like the ones that got me really excited was a uh, Rachel Ghoul one by Tom Taylor and Ivan Reese. Ooh. And then um, 
our boys, our the dream team from Strange Adventure, doing a Riddler one with Tom King and uh, Mitch Gerrard. So there's a Catwoman one and a Two-Face one and a Clayface one, but all really interesting creative teams. And once again, like these are the books that I love that you can recommend to a friend or you can mm-hmm. buy for your kid where it's just like, here's a story. Um, I think the bad day refers to a bad day that the particular villain is having based on the cover for the John Ridley book because I had like Oswald sitting in the rain and then this really <laughs> amazing kind of silhouetted Batman uh, in behind him framing it out type of thing. But uh, yeah, I'm super excited for these and the creative teams are just fire. So yeah, it's, an, it's a neat way to do it and I think they should do more stuff like this instead of crossovers and miniseries and big events. Like just put out good high quality books that people can buy and then you can you know repackage and sell them evergreen type of thing so yeah this will be a cool project and i recommend anybody who's interested in doing a bit of comic book reading to dive into these come the fall 64 Mm -hmm. pages i I think it was like one a month or one every three weeks or whatever that they're coming out so it won't be a huge burden to get into and you know they might not all be roses but i'm sure a few of them will be bangers like just John Ridley writing Bruce Wayne Batman is interesting in and of itself. Yeah, a lot of great creatives there too and really building on the momentum of the year of the bat as well. When mm-hmm. with the Batman, Cape and Crusader potentially coming out, you've got all these announcements regarding Batman 2 and the Oswald Cobblepot show and, and kind of filling out that rogues gallery, kind of focusing the attention back to the origins of it all I think is really cool. And the fact that they're one shots, low barrier for entry, you get these things digitally as well and boom. You're, you're good to go. You're kind of jumping into the, the deep end of comic book reading without having to think too much about things. Yeah, and these books are always the best reads historically because there's a lot of effort and they're usually written as being a bit of a signature book uh, for folks. And a lot of the guys on art details aren't people on regular monthly books because they they do take a bit more time to ply their craft, but the end result is always amazing. So yeah, this, this might be something to watch out for, or get your shop to put it on your pull list and um, yeah, check them out. Very cool, man. Well, I'm going to tap to you. We got one more big discussion to have. Is there, is there any little stories you want to slide on the table before we do talk about she Hulk attorney at law? Uh, do we have to? I probably just uh, touch on the one thing that I think we'd be uh, two things actually that I think we'd be remiss to move forward into the next week without talking about in our space. So, um, one was that there's a lot of rumors and rumblings about DC Films getting its own studio under the Warner Brothers umbrella, and. Um, one of the names that's being thrown around to come in and shepherd a bit of a restructuring at the studio is Alan Horn. So Alan Horn very famously had been running Warner Brothers and had done kind of their silo thing to fairly high degree of success. Uh, but Jeff Bukes came in under AT&T and Mr. Horn was let go and he went to Disney and yeah. launched what is basically how they do business now and so the the silo approach that they've taken is thanks to him and 
they've done it to great success. But uh, yeah, the interview was pretty cool. He, he kind of said, can I come home now? Is it, <laughs> has it been long enough? So there's rumblings that he'll be maybe not the guy in charge of it all, but he'll be coming in in a consultant role. And um, yeah, there's a lot of names being thrown around for who's going to come work DC films. I'd probably suggest that Walter Mata has the insider track on that one, given the success that he's had. And um, really all this would mean is that he would get green light ability without having to uh, develop things and then take those ideas to Toby Emmerich or up the food chain to get green light. So I think that's pretty cool. And then staying with DC films uh, straight from the horse's mouth, I'd kind of put a few things out on social media about the aforementioned Mr. Amada's testimony during the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, but Amber Heard herself has kind of said that she might only be an Aquaman 2 for right about 10 minutes and that they had tried to get rid of her before. And uh, she doesn't know what her role will end up looking like in that movie, but um, 10 minutes of Amber Heard at best is what we're going to be getting in Aquaman 2. And, who knows? We'll see how this trial plays out, and you might see her just face flopped right out of that thing. Yeah, I do know that. I don't think Warner Brothers was too pleased with Johnny Depp mentioning Aquaman inside <laughs> of that trial. I believe they no. tried to get that him to sign something so that he would not mention the movie inside of that mm-hmm. trial, so it did not have any sort of negative publicity in the build up to the release of that film, and so. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they really backstepped on on her. Again, I'm not going to offer any commentary around it. You can go find it on Twitter and make your own opinion. But holy yeah. moly, wouldn't probably be the worst thing in the world for her to, to fade to the background <laughs> of that film um, at this point in time. Now, regarding that Alan Horn thing, I find that very interesting because if I'm not mistaken, Horn, when he was over at Disney, was responsible for really establishing that like autonomous working model with the likes of pixar marvel uh mm-hmm. who else was brought in there at that time i can't remember Lucas but film. yeah lucasfilm sorry and so that is really cool that yeah like you said the the blueprint that he designed for this way of working with different studios reporting up through something larger but given the ability to make the films they want and that was a big thing i know even for if you read the Bob Iger book, he talks about working with Steve Jobs and Pixar. And that was the big thing with them selling Pixar to Disney was that they needed to remain autonomous. They need to have creative control over things. You can slap the Disney thing on the side of it, but ultimately these guys are running the show. And you see that thing with Kathleen Kennedy and Kevin Feige as well is that, yeah, there's probably some steer and there's definitely been a lot of development of Disney plus things. I believe at great stress from the disney itself but it's cool to see that someone that has experience in that style of working to go and say all right dc go do your thing run with the creatives run with the direction run with their brand and so it really expands on all the conversations that we've been having the last little bit about dc and where it's going yeah i think it'll be cool like i i do hope that they keep a bit of the mo that they've had recently Mm -hmm. because i do love it like I'd hate to try and lean one way and lose something like Joker or the Batman. So I think they're in a sweet spot and I hope they embrace that identity going Mm -hmm. forward. I think they know they're different 
and they've really i think found a footing you know they tried to duplicate they tried to pull a bit from the mcu style and it just didn't work and now they've found their own i think that they they have their voice right in a guy like dwayne mm-hmm. johnson in a guy like matt reeves and these type of of creatives i think that they have that direction if they maintain that and just grow that i think they're going to be doing pretty good things here in the not so distant future yeah the one thing i do know is that the uh, hierarchy of power in the dc universe is about to change continues to change <laughs> well things might also be changing over on disney plus and as we wrap up this news week we have to of course acknowledge that there was a She-Hulk trailer that dropped just a few hours ago. Now, I am the Marvel fanboy of the podcast. I will forever support everything they do. But holy moly, what was this trailer? It probably is the least inspiring MCU trailer I have ever seen. I like the concept of Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk. And there's a few things in it that pique my interest with regards to the superhero law division and making it about the courtroom a little bit. You get Emil Blonsky and Abomination back in the fray in some capacity. There is some cool concepts to the story, but putting out a trailer with this amount of CGI that looks unfinished, unrefined, for a character that is going to be, at least looks to be quite heavily featured in a CGI role, really wasn't something, it wasn't something that I digested really well, to be honest with you. I, I looked at this thing and my immediate reaction was yikes like this needs some work like why they didn't just choose to focus a little bit on the Hulk and have it all on Jennifer Walters now the show might be really based around She-Hulk and she might be present the whole way through I doubt it but man I don't know like even Ruffalo's Hulk looked off in this one <laughs> Ruffles Hulk has looked off since Avengers Endgame, but uh, <laughs> if not before, uh, yeah, for me, like I, you know, I I planted my flag in the fact that I'm not gonna be too harsh on any kind of CG from mm-hmm. here until 2024 because of just the realities of the delays and how stressed and taxed the VFX houses are. I will say, like this was spectacularly bad. Like she, my girls play the Sims a lot and she looks like one of the Sims. No better, no worse. It's just like a, a Sim type of thing. But uh, yeah, I won't, I won't belabor that too much. But for me, it was, I kind of stepped back and I was like watching this trailer, the presentation, the type of story that they were telling. If you strip the Marvel logo off that, would I watch this show? If this show was called My Big Green California Lawyer and it was about the exploits of some lawyer that gets superpowers because she was hit by a magic meteorite and but the story plays out the same way, the performances are the same, the kind of beats that we saw in the trailer were the same, would I watch this show? And the answer is no. It it's why would I watch Ally McBeal 2022 when the good Ally McBeal is available on streaming somewhere, I'm sure. And yeah, I, it just, it did nothing for me. The, the kind of weird sex in the city type vibes that they had 
going just rang really hollow and seemed really forced. Mm-hmm. And the superheroic stuff wasn't doing it for me. And like, if you listen to like any episode of the show, I'm one of the biggest incredible Hulk boosters that you can find. And Blonsky and the way that he was portrayed didn't feel like it was the same character. And then that's compounded with now putting the layer of Ruffalo Hulk on there, which magnified how inferior he is to the Norton version of the Hulk. And I was just like, Ugh, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's it's definitely got some serious work to do to kind of get over that that hurdle. The first episode or the first two episodes, I think, really, really have to work. But I have a feeling that a lot of what we saw in the trailer was from the first two episodes in this one. I think Ruffalo is meant to be in a relatively short cameo role kind of introducing the concepts and maybe bridging some of the gaps, but I don't really know where that goes. Like, is it something in their blood now that they are Hulk? Like that doesn't make sense. I thought it was just about the gammas. And so, well, there's, there's like that car accident. So from the comic, she becomes a Hulk by way of a blood transfusion from him. Oh, okay. So he has to do an emergency transfusion and that's how she becomes a Hulk. And like, at first she was like savage she Hulk, but then they Mm -hmm. um, evolved her into being the, basically Jennifer Walters with superpowers type of thing, which is cool. But um, yeah. And I think we kind of see like there's that car rolling down a cliff type of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I suspect that that's what the genesis of her powers will be. But yeah, the, the look and vibe of the show. It, yeah. It just didn't do it. Like when you, when you pair it shoulder to shoulder to something, and I know it's a hard comparison, but even like that Kenobi trailer we talked about last week was just, unbelievable even the first moon knight trailer was really intriguing and kind of gave you mm-hmm. instead of tone the tone this trailer sets just isn't something that that interests me and if there's people out there that want to watch this and are really excited by this all the more power to you i love that but for me it just this is one of the first experiences i've had with like a marvel property where i'm just like yeah like I, i'm gonna watch it for the show i'm gonna watch it because it's part of the mcu but like you said you strip that away there's no like that looks like a <laughs> a friday night netflix thing that my daughter wants to watch because <laughs> it just it doesn't work and the second trailer is going to come back absolutely banging to kind of change the mood and tone i don't know what the feel is around the community and around the like the larger nerd universe and all that on this one but i, I can't see it being overly enthused yeah, like three months isn't a ton of time, and I, you hadn't put out a trailer yet, so why didn't you just push it? Oh yeah, right? like and you have total control over it. Like it's no one's forcing you to put it out. Like there might be some Q three stuff that they need to have out in there for sub bases and all that, but yikes, yikes, man, just not, not really something that uh, that that really needs much more conversation here, man, because um. I don't know how much more justification we can do inside of this. So go check out that trailer if you really want to. And hopefully there's something a little better here. Come August 17th, that was revealed after being leaked by, I believe, the Disney UK account. It is coming at the end of August there. So that will be on Disney Plus following Miss Marvel. It comes out here at the early part of June. But it's been a slim and trim few weeks of in our own personal nerd here. And we're actually at a point where there's not much to say, so we're actually just going to move on with one last piece of news that kind of fits in the plastic space before we wrap this up. So we're going to have to move our week in nerd to next week, the actual true segment. Carlos, but you got one last thing I think you want to comment on that builds a little bit on what we talked about 
last week. Yeah. So Gotham Knights, dear family, is real. And so I didn't pick anything up this week except um, I logged onto the PlayStation Network and in the PlayStation Store, there was the pre-order for Gotham Knights. You can buy the digital copy or the digital deluxe copy, which comes with a pile of glorious costumes, including for anybody who complained. The Jim Lee designed, basically, here is your comic accurate suits. Classic Tim Drake, classic Dick Grayson, classic Barbara Gordon, classic Red Hood. Like, those are the suits you wanted designed by Jim Lee. But uh, that's not how I ordered it because uh, I was on the phone talking with a, a client, so to speak, and just just board scrolling and crossing my eyes was the big, glorious, deluxe edition uh, Gotham Knights um, game. It comes with like a book, I think, but the main piece is this really cool little statue with the four of them on on a buttress, kind of taking point and getting ready to leap into action. So hit up our GameStop on a text and said, "Dude, you got to hook me up with this pre-order." And then I sent Troy the link, and he's like, "That's awesome. How much was it?" And I said, I have no idea, actually. I didn't even stop for a minute to <laughs> find out what the price was. But I do have my pre-order secured. So uh, that's the main thing. But yeah, crazy excited about that one. And anybody looking for Gotham Knights, if you want to get it digitally, it's available in the store. And pre-orders are now available. So a bit of news and a bit of Our Weekend Nerd all uh, in one fiesta platter. Brilliant, man. I love to hear that that hype is carried over from your discussion about Gotham Knights last week into a pre-order this week that comes not only with a game and a book, but a piece of plastic as well. So it kind of ticks all of the boxes, man, for us here in the nerd room. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. That game is going to be baller. Baller. Cannot wait. Cannot wait to hear and chronicle how everything kind of drops there for you. But, man, that wraps it up for this week. Like I said, we're going to cut our week in nerd because... Again, it's been a very quiet, quiet hunt for me. I've, like I've said, and like I've teased, there's something coming. I'm not quite ready to 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 reveal it, but in due course, it will get revealed. So we're gonna wrap it up there this week with a mostly news episode on this one. And you know, we got through a lot: Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Beyond. It's all in there in another episode of the Nerd Room. And if you guys would like to be a bigger part of this show, you can always email us at thenerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. The hunt is real when it is real. And it's over on Instagram at the Nerdroom. Check us out there. And YouTube, guys, we are creeping ever so close to that 400 subscriber mark. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, head over there and please give us a sub because we've thrown up a whole bunch of content in the last couple of weeks, including three big figure reviews with a Doctor Strange figure. A Clayface figure from our man, our Amateur Hour reviewer here, Carlos, as well as a Luke Skywalker SH figure art. So a Star Wars, Marvel, and DC figure review up there. We've got my Star Wars collection tour, Marvel collection tour. There's all kinds of content going up there. And we will be having our next live stream, the Friday of Celebration. And, of course, it is going to be Star Wars Celebration from far, far away, a very special live stream. And we've got some guests already lined up for that. So plug in that first Friday. We'll be talking, of course, about Kenobi and Star Wars Celebration. We may even have one of our good friends call in from Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim and build out some of the hype there as we're all jealously watching 
our friends down at star celebration and experiencing all that so that's all happening over on youtube and of course you can find our twitter handles at the end of the show here where we are periodically walking around talking about things like she hulk with the crew and whatever else crosses our eyes on a week-to-week basis so my man carlos it's been a pleasure as always running down this week in nerd and i can't wait to do it again next week where we'll be back here like we are every single thursday so until then for the nerd room i'm tim and i'm batman and thank you so much for entering the nerd room this has been a nerd room podcast production you can find our hosts tim troy sanjay and carlos on twitter at the nerd rm troy the boy 87 sanjabi and cdn caped crusade r for more content from the nerd room check out the nerdroom.net and don't forget to subscribe to the nerd room on itunes podbean spotify wherever you plug in use the hashtag we the nerd to keep up with the latest from the nerd room on instagram and twitter